I'd like to thank KTMS 990 and Montecito Bank and Trust for making Scam Squad possible. I'm Patty Teal. And I'm Deputy District Attorney Vicki Johnson. Scam Squad is up next. Sound off. One, two. Sound off. Three, four. One, two, three, four. Scam Squad. Welcome to Scam Squad. I'm your host, Patty Teal. Here, as always, with Deputy District Attorney Vicki Johnson. And we have our favorite criminologist with us today. Vicki, I'll let you introduce her. Thank you. Yes, indeed. Judy Chrisman Yates, criminologist who writes a wonderful financial exploitation newsletter, which comes out monthly, and it always has some very good information and interesting information. Judy, welcome to the show. I'm so glad that you're on right now because we have talked on this show quite a bit about fake websites and how they should be avoided. Some examples might be a site that's listed in a link sent by a scammer that you inadvertently open or a fake website set up by a scammer to trick you into buying a product at a vastly reduced price. Or sometimes if you Google a company or an organization, the first couple of sites that come up just might be fake. So with all that going on, knowing if a website is credible is a real dilemma. And Judy, in your recent newsletter, in the recent issue, you address this in an article titled, How Can I Tell If a Website is Credible? So this is a very timely topic for us to discuss. And you list six different things to look for. The first on the list is author. What can you tell us about that? Well, first, thank you for having me back on Scam Squad. It's always a pleasure. And Vicki, I want to tell everyone that this is actually from the University of Wisconsin, which gives it even more credibility. And that's what we're talking about when we're looking at websites. So one of the first things that you would check is for author. Is the author reputable? If they include their contact information right there, you can do some independent research and check that out. How else would we know if that author is a credible author? Google their name or? Yes, yes. Google their name and see where they work. See Mm -hmm. what people have to say. You can put their name and you can always put scam after their name or put complaint after their name. And see what comes back. You can do that also for agencies or businesses as well. You can even do that for a website and you can put the website name and put complaints. I would imagine if the author of a particular article, depending on the topic, is associated with a good university, that would give that article a lot more credibility, assuming that person is really associated with that institution. And that would be an easy Google search, I would imagine. So it sounds like there are ways that you can actually research the author and find out if it's a credible person that you're dealing with there. Also checking the date and the source of a website is recommended. So please explain what that means. Okay, so a date is always important. The world is moving so quickly now, the information is moving so quickly. You don't want to be looking up information that's 1, 2, 10, 20 years old. Or maybe you do. Maybe you're looking at it historically. So the date is really important. And by the way, also on the credible websites, credible website is very much like a book or a scholarly article, and they typically will cite the source where they took the original information. So that's important as well. But what about imposter sites that look like they're the real company? How can we tell if it is who they say they are? Well, when in doubt, do your homework. Ask in a separate search and find out if there are complaints. Go to the Better Business Bureau, check it out there, 
And also, I know that Vicki has asked me to talk a little bit about the domain name. So the domain name is really important. A domain is very simply the internet address. That's a very simple explanation of how that works. But there is a .com, a .gov, a .edu, education, a .mil, military, or a .org. And it turns out that certainly the military and education and gov, typically those are the highest rated credibility that is out there. But even in that address, a scammer could change one letter, one letter. So you just really have to be very careful. But the one to really watch for is .org. A lot of people think that that is really safe. A .org is typically for not-for-profit organizations, or at least that's what I thought. But it mm-hmm. turns out anyone can buy a .org domain. They may not have to pay anything. There are good deals on buying those. So if you have a .org and you're suspicious, one more time, do a separate search to your homework. So there's something about looking at the address of the site. And explain to me what that means. So my address would be Santa Barbara County. If you hover your mouse over that site, you would expect that it would come up with exactly that. Is that correct? Exactly. So that's part of the domain name. Okay. And also, you might find something that says .us. That means it's from the United States. Or if you saw AU, that would be Australia. And if you see a couple of letters in there and you're not sure what it is, put that into a search engine and ask. So if you hover over my address, it's going to come up exactly what I show. If you hover it over it with your mouse and it comes up with something else, does that indicate you might be dealing with the scam? Absolutely. It's somebody else. They maybe changed the name to look like it, but the address is different. And one more time, you can actually copy that address into a search and see if that comes up for that organization. Okay. So the last two items on the list are site design and writing style. Please give us some examples of how that can tip us off, whether or not we're dealing with a credible website or something else. Well, if you're selling something or you're presenting information, you want to look professional. Scammers don't always have the abilities to look professional. And a lot of times there are typos or there are grammar problems. However, There are now apps out there that are very cheap for scammers to buy to have them clean up the writing, for example. So you have to be really, really careful. You mean looking at the site, Googling the site, finding if the site has any danger warning signs? Yeah. Use your gut. And if things don't look right, then check it out. In the next section of your newsletter, you talk about a scam where somebody accidentally sends you money and then wants it back. And we've talked about that a little bit on this show. How does this scam work? And can you give some examples? Sure. This happens mostly with cash apps like Zelle, Venmo, PayPal, Apple Pay. Typically, these are not tied to a credit card. They're more of a debit card cash app. And what happens is scammers go to the dark web. And they steal credit card information for these apps. And then they just randomly send out all these texts and emails to all of us all the time over and over. And they go, oh, we accidentally sent you the money. And they're expecting you to reply back. And I have to tell you, there are a lot of wonderful people out there that don't want to take something that is not theirs. 
Well, what happens next is the scammer takes that address and then ties it to their cards. And when you actually go out there and click on the link that they provide you, you're sending the money to the scammer. You're not sending it back to the person that lost it. Eventually, that person is likely to find out that money's been taken out of their account. They'll go to their financial institution. And once they do that, that's when the money is going to come out of your account, right? So the money does go there, but it's going to come out because it was from a stolen credit card. What you're doing is you're basically sending them clean, laundered money. So you have to be really careful. You should never send back or respond to somebody that you don't know. If they sent you money and you don't know them, too bad. Go down to your financial institution, report it. Wait, certainly don't spend that money because it's very likely to be stolen and it'll be removed from your account once it's discovered. So I'm a little in the dark about using Venmo or any kind of PayPal, anything like that. I just don't. So how would somebody approach me with this scam? Let's say I have a Venmo account. How might somebody approach me? Well, a legitimate one, I had somebody that owed me money and I had never heard of any of that. This was a few years ago. And they said, so-and-so wants to send you $600 to Venmo or to Zelle. And it's like, what? So I called them up and I said, what's this all about? Is this a scam? And they Uh said, no, no, no. I I forgot I owe you money. I want to send you 600 this way. And then I'll send you 600 next month, same way. And I go, well, I wrote you a check. So how about sending me a check? Because I don't have an account. Oh, no, no, I don't use checks anymore. This is a young person. What can I say? Right. I go down to my financial institution and I say, I want to establish a cash app. In this case, Zelle. And what I know is I don't want that card linked to my savings account or my checking account. I want a separate number because most banks set it up so it's linked to one of those because it's a debit card. It's like a debit card and the money just comes and goes. And that's why people that you know, families, sending your kids money back and forth, they have your personal information. But it turns out that there is not the security that you would have if you had it linked to a credit card. Okay, so let's say that person was a scammer and that person contacts you and says, I owe you $600 and I'm going to send it to your, let's say your Venmo account. Let's say you have a Venmo account. Then what? Or I get that text that says, you know, I've accidentally sent you this money. Okay. I go, oh, so I send them back money from my clean account. Well, it turns out that the scammer probably, in this case, stole the information from the dark web and they linked that stolen credit card information or cash app information to their credit card. And when I send them the money, it goes to the scammer. It doesn't go to the person that was initially debited. Okay. The main point is don't ever send money back when somebody tells you that they've accidentally sent you money. Exactly. You shouldn't be responding to anybody. If you don't know people, don't respond to them. Go to your financial institution and let them know what's going on and get some guidance from them. So the newsletter also talks about a very serious crime called sextortion. And I've been reading about this recently in bulletins put out by the FBI. Apparently, it's really on the rise. So what is sextortion? Well, let's start with the definition of sexting first. So sexting, the definition from the FBI is nude or nearly nude photos or selfies or videos that show nudity, sex acts, or simulated sex or text message that propose sex or refer to sex acts. All right, that's what sexting is. Sextortion 
two words put together, extortion regarding sex. So it's just that simple and it's horrible. The way it actually happens to most people is the scammers just send out, once again, random texts or emails saying that they have very intimate photos of you and they're going to post them online if you don't send them money, Bitcoin or whatever it happens to be. And Vicki, I believe that some time ago you told me that you received one of those to your county email, right? That's correct. Yeah. So what did you do? Deleted it. Very good. That's what you should do. If it's non-specific and you think that they're just taking random shots and trying to collect money from you, then just delete it. If it's something more than that, then you definitely need to go to the FBI. The FBI has actually a special group that works with people who have extortion happening in their lives. And with young people, one of the things that the FBI is finding is that a minor thinks that they're talking to someone their age. Mm-hmm. And then they're sharing information and you know, they're building relationships. And this happens with adults as well. Of course, it's much worse for minors. And what happens in the recent, it's so horrible, such a horrible crime, is you don't know what to do. If you have your personal pictures out there, right? You know, how are you going to get them back? And the FBI can help you with that. That's the context that I've been hearing about sextortion. And it particularly seems to be targeting young men these days where they get into what they think is a relationship with somebody, kind of like a romance scam, actually a romance scam. And they start exchanging intimate photos. And then pretty soon that wonderful romancer turns into an extortionist and says, hey, you know, all those wonderful pictures you sent me, those very intimate pictures? Well, unless you pay me some money, I'm going to spread those out on the internet. And of course, most young people really can't handle that kind of thing happening in their life. They're hugely embarrassed and they're worried about what their parents and their friends are going to think. And that's a kind of sextortion that I've been hearing a lot about, particularly with young men. How serious a threat is this? One of the problems is people don't want to talk about it. I have actually had some experience on the side for young people that have sent a nude photo. Mm-hmm. And what I say, number one, and I mean, it sounds really silly, but certainly don't include your head. Out on the internet for the rest of your life. People a lot of times think of suicide because they mm-hmm. don't see any way out. Even worse than the romance scams because of the humiliation and they don't know what to do. Young kids don't want to go back to the school because something may have been sent virally through that high school or whatever it happens to be. But it's a very scary crime. And I have heard that it can sometimes lead to suicide because the person just can't face up to the humiliation and embarrassment if these pictures got out. And as you said, what a person should do if they've experienced this is go right to the FBI because they have teams in place to deal with it. Absolutely. And I have links that will be added to the podcast and the YouTube. So it has the 1-800-CALL-FBI or go down to the local office. But they do have literally trained people to help you with this. You're not alone in it. And it's a serious crime. That is a serious crime. And it's so good to know that you are not alone if you've been exploited this way. 
And that is a good segue into another topic, um, talking to people about these frauds, educating ourselves and others. And this is certainly something that a parent should talk to their children about and start having that conversation with family and friends. So it can be a kind of delicate topic. Do you have some suggestions for how to do that, how to educate family members and friends about these various frauds and scams? AARP put together four tips. The title of it is Talking to Your Kids and Grandkids About Fraud. On this program, we talk a lot about seniors, and people think that it's just senior citizens that are getting scammed. But I can tell you from experience, it is every age group, every ethnicity, every size. It does not matter. We're all in this together. People just want our money or our personal information so that they can use it for whatever purpose. And this gives actually seniors a good opportunity because a lot of them are much wiser maybe not the technology, but on human behavior. Because what I find is the younger people know technology, the older people know psychology, human behavior. So it's time to share and engage in that and just open up and say, have you heard about this one? Have you heard about that? What do you think about this? Let them know that you're ready to listen and that you know that you're vulnerable as well. You have to be careful also to not judge. Sometimes, even with my experience, I have people tell me things and I just want to roll my eyes, shake these people and say, really? You cannot do that. If someone is confidentially telling you something, you have to be very careful. Save that eye rolling for when you're alone and share safe tips. If you can talk about sexting or sextortion, I mean, the way you start that is, have you ever heard of that? Is that happening? And, you know, you'll tell right away if they're willing to talk about it, whatever their age happens to be. But another thing is to show an interest in their technology. Oh, what kind of phone? What kind of computer do you have? And when you do that, you're going to learn a lot. I learn every single day. And it also gives you the opportunity to say, well, now, do you have a password on that phone? And, you know, and they go, what? And you talk to them about, you know, why you have a password or whatever it happens to be. So you will both benefit from these conversations all the time. And they need to be ongoing. This is just the way of the world. I'm sorry. Yeah, to say. It really is. And sharing tips, sharing red flags, things that we know are red flags, particularly having to do with romance scammers and how they suck you in. And then before you know it, you're trapped in a relationship that's not healthy and that is draining you of money or worse, your reputation if you're a young person. So I think sharing the red flags that we all know about is really a good thing to do during the course of these kinds of conversations. So Judy, as always, thank you so much for these good tips and good advice. And I just have to ask you, how many years have you been writing this newsletter about? Oh, gosh. Um, When I used to run the financial abuse specialist team in Ventura County, I started with always having enough things that I wanted to fill in any moments in the meeting, make sure. So I have probably been doing it at least 15 or 20 years. And I do it as a community service. Life has been good to me and I live small. So I like to do it as a community service. And the newsletter really is just there are things that people ask me questions about or I find interesting. And I research and what I do is I try to find links, just like we were talking about credit 
credible websites. Yeah. I try to find links that are credible and list those that have information so that people can look those up on their own. And as a matter of fact, I'm coming up with one on Wikipedia. I'm going to do that Ooh. because that is something that absolutely anyone can go to Wikipedia and write in there. So I'm going to do some homework on that. Wikipedia is a good place to start and give you more questions that you can ask, but it is not a scholarly site. We're very glad that you have such a curious mind and that you share all your research with us. Thank you so much. And I will have some of the links that you're giving me on the YouTube channel. So I hope people will use those. Thank you, Judy. You have any good news today, Vicki? Well, I do, as a matter of fact. And this came from the NAPSA Scam Forum, which is run by Debbie Deem and Steve Baker, two people who know a lot about scams. Debbie Deem used to work for the FBI as a victim advocate, and she is an expert in scams. And they run a forum where people who are involved with seniors can engage and learn how to deal with victims that have been scammed. But here's the information that she has. As a result of the Elder Abuse Prevention and Protection Act of 2017. That's quite a mouthful. The U.S. Department of Justice has organized annual sweeps, and these sweeps internationally target criminals who are targeting older Americans with these particular kinds of scams. So they had a sweep in 2018, a sweep in 2019, and the 2020 focus, this focus of their sweep in 2020 was money mules, and we've talked a lot about that. And they arrested over 400 defendants globally who are responsible for more than one $1 billion, $1 billion in stolen money. And this is the interesting part to me. Not only are they doing these sweeps, but most of these victims were identified through the FBI website, www.ic3.gov or the FTC.gov, www.ftc.gov, Federal Trade Commission. So I always talk about reporting if you've been scammed to those particular sites. And you always think, well, it's not going to do me any good. It's really not going to get my money back. These are big agencies. They're not going to take any action on my little case. But they use this information to put together these very, very large task forces involving other countries and getting law enforcement in other countries involved. And they actually do end up arresting and prosecuting many, many, many of these fraudsters. So don't hesitate, please, to put your information out there on IC3 or FTC.gov. Gosh, that's a good reminder, Vicki. And I know you have a number as well. If people either live in Santa Barbara or would like to share their story on Scam Squad, how would they call you? Area code 805-568-2442. And again, that's 805-568-2442. That was a great show. Thank you. Thank you, Vicki, so much. And thank you, Judy. Thank you. It's always great. Okay. Talk again soon. Bye-bye now. Bye. Bye.